0: Welcome to Practice Not Perfect, a new podcast exploring the place of practice in the spiritual life rooted in the Christian tradition. I am here today with Carmen Acevedo Butcher. Dr. Butcher is a scholar published in the area of linguistics, a professor teaching writing at UC Berkeley. She is also a mystic and a student of the mystical life, publishing books on women mystics, on Saint Benedict, on Hildegard of Bingen I became aware of her work through her translation of the cloud of unknowing her most recent book is a translation of brother Lawrence and his practice of the presence of God Carmen welcome is there anything else you would like people to know about you
1: that's wonderful, James. You covered it all, and I'm so glad to be here with you.
0: Well, I am so excited to be with you as well. I, I, I do want to tell a little story. When I was thinking about launching this podcast, I put it out on Facebook of like, hey, any suggestions? And then my thought was, hey, I want to do something on you. Know, I think all I said was that I want to do something on Christian spirituality, but I said, I want to do something on practice. And I opened up my DMs and I had a message from you saying, podcast sounds a good idea. And I would come and talk about the practice of the presence. And I was like, oh, this is serendipity. This is this is what, you know, in, in my um, evangelical days, I would definitely call a God moment. So I thought, well, hey, I need to do this. So thank you for coming on and being my first person on the podcast. And also confirming the shape of what I want to do, so <laughs> I appreciate that.
1: Well, I'm delighted, James, because one of the things I had noticed about your Twitter page, this is like one of the great things about Twitter.
0: Yeah, I
1: know it sometimes gets the other sort of reputation, but you had on there bootleg pastor, because so that was kind of really, you know, the spirit, your spirit really comes across in Twitter, and then you had believer in radical welcome of God in the way of Jesus, and I thought This is and you have a really kind, kind of um, sort of accessibly intelligent, you know, intellectual sort of uh, and very embodied approach because I can tell you care about people. And so that all made me think of Brother Lawrence. And I thought I would love to have a conversation. Actually, my first thought was because I was about to launch Brother Lawrence, the practice of the presence, my translation. I actually thought I wonder if he would have time to read my translation, because I thought I didn't even even know you that well, you know, yet, but I thought I would like to know what James thinks about it. And so that has been one of the greatest gifts is our Twitter messaging, (laughs) which I have kept. Let's just tell people who are listening, I've kept it. I have it in a file, all your observations. So thank you for sharing.
0: Thank you. So I I do want to get into the book, but I I wanted to ask, since this is Broadly themed on spiritual practice, my podcast. I thought it'd be kind of fun to ask some practice questions to begin with. Yeah. But So what's one thing in your life that you've practiced uh, a lot? Now, that could be you've learned an instrument or played a sport or a skill you tried to master. But what's one thing that you've practiced at?
1: So when you say sport, I mean, the first thing that comes to mind is basketball. So I played basketball all the way through high school. And I remember spending, I I was always weak on my left side. So people could guard me just my right side. And I spent an entire summer practicing just with my left hand out on a goal that we had at the end of the driveway at my parents' house. And i dribbled I shot and I I pretended I didn't have a right hand and by the next season I mean it was really awkward at first you know I mean it was very it just didn't work but by the end of that summer spending 3 to 4 hours I could I was a double threat you know on the court <laughs> I could nobody I was by ambidextrous I could you know use both so well um so that's one thing also I have uh, practice singing my whole life
0: yeah I've, and, I've heard some of your singing yeah with uh you know but they're
1: similar right I mean in the sense of um that you do them it's like I've often thought it's kind of like we have the monkey mind mm-hmm. and it has to be doing something so I have an obsessive uh, you know like gene or impulse or I don't think I'm exactly unique in that I think we humans a lot of people feel that. And I remember realizing one day when I was doing Lexio Divina, so like reading scripture, and like, you know, if you meditate on Jesus wept, that yep. can take you places, just Jesus wept, mm. much less some of the other w- very wise verses. But I just remember thinking my mind needs to repeat itself healthily. And that, you know, in the cloud of unknowing, he says, that you can't do this too much. He says, do it gently, but you can't repeat like these scriptures. too, you know, like you you do it gently, but it's a very it's not like eating too much chocolate, <laughs> right?
0: right. <laughs> which I could
1: which I could also really get into. But so I have I have sung. One of the things I learned early in my life, I don't know how I learned it, was that my name Carmen means song or poem, and so I always thought I was kind of like fulfilling my birdness. Like, you know, birds sing. And so I've always, and then that led to chanting, And so I've always yeah. done this. I think we need to be doing something physical, some kind of, phys- like, I love the title of your podcast, Practice Not Perfect. Mm. And I just think we need to be doing something that cultivates our soul, our body. I mean, they're not separate. So our soul, our body, our self, our psyche, all of that, and I think chanting, Lexio Divina, you know, meditating on scripture or other wise words, yeah, is I've done all of I've done all of those, and the other one, and I don't know that if pe- sometimes people call it a practice, is walking. I guess you asked for one, but sorry, <laughs> okay.
0: uh,
1: is is walking out in nature. Ooh. So yeah. just walking and being open to look at that cloud, just being open to having the attention yeah. on the sacredness of nature.
0: Well, and I see that in some of, some of your um, social media posts, you, you, you post poems and pictures uh, of, yeah of uh, big sky country. <laughs> so, That's it. Yeah. That's it. Um, well, thank you for sharing that. I, I, I do have a, Just a follow-up practice question if there's something that you used to do that feels out of practice now.
1: (laughs) Wow, I've never been asked that question, James. Something I used to do. It's like, it's like everything I used. Okay, let me think. Everything I used to do, I kind of still do, but I just do it in a a way that I find is more understanding or more mature. I'm not saying I'm mature, like I'm not. Like, I am not mean really, really the focus on me, but um, one thing that I don't do. Okay, I can say, I can answer that. Uh, I used to feel guilty when I couldn't find healing just within the Christian church. Mm. Um, because I was uh, raised in the evangelical church. And there were some bits of that theology that I needed to um, heal through that weren't that hadn't been exactly help, helpful to me. And I really started studying all anything that was helpful. So any wisdom that was helpful and also kind, although I don't think I should have to say that if it's helpful, it will be kind, right? And other looking and self-compassionate. And I started really being drawn to like Buddhism, that wisdom tradition, And so it was at first, it was like kind of odd because it was like, there's no God, you know, mentioned. And so I was kind of like, whoa, because I kind of went from Jesus to that. And it was kind of, but what I found was this calmness there that in the hellfire and damnation sermons or in the ways that I didn't really feel seen as a person, as a valued person, it was like, you know, I mattered and there was sacredness in everything. And that was really... giving myself the permission to, and and it wasn't just Buddhism, but other, other faiths, other traditions of going where the wisdom was, because it's really interesting. Uh, I had so many ways I needed to be healed and, and still do. I think we're all an ongoing, or at least it seems to me.
0: I'm a mess. So and
1: therapy, well, I mean, in therapy has really been hard work. Nobody, Talks as much about they. Oh, I went to therapy. It's like such hard work, but giving myself the permission to find the healing where I found it
0: Mm
1: -hmm. has been so. I mean, that was long ago when I gave myself permission for that, but it has been so healing for me, and um, I'm really grateful because it's really kind of like, um, you know, if somebody comes and offers you medicine, it's really not the healthiest to go. Are you? Like, do you match all my little, <laughs> all my little tick boxes? And um, yeah, there's so much wisdom out there. Yeah. So much wisdom.
0: And, and, you know, I, as I, you know, I'm still very Christian in my, my uh, yeah. approach to things, but you know, that when you talk about spiritual practice, I mean, the, you know, things that, that I've learned from Buddhism and other things about, um, you know, <laughs> calming the mind and mindfulness and uh i mean i had a spiritual director that said like you know if if uh, prayer is to be fruitful it 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 starts with something like mindfulness um uh, they, they're not in um competition with one another so thank you for sharing that so I'm, I'm glad i asked the practice questions but i can remember my first encounter with brother lawrence I was at my grandparent's place and looking at their bookshelf, the the bookshelf that was behind the chair where my grandmother watched TV. I found a old uh, trade paperback copy of the brother of brother Lawrence, uh, which she let me keep. My grandmother was a fundamentalist Christian. I think at the time Pentecostal, but. She was a fundamentalist in the era that really meant being anti-Catholic. So it's kind of remarkable that I found Brother Lawrence on the shelf there. But wow. I, I was just curious, uh, do you, I, I will get into like how you came to, to translate this book, but do you remember your first encounter with Brother Lawrence?
1: I've been asked that once before, and I believe it was in um, Frank Laubach, he has this, because often in the Protestant tradition, you know what happens with, because you kind of have like two streams on Brother Lawrence. You definitely have the Catholic vein, and then you definitely have the Protestant vein. You know, he's been so appealing to both. I mean, he started in the Catholic uh, right. tradition, obviously. But I believe it was in Frank Laubach because he was all over my childhood, you know, all about um, that uh, he would teach literacy, or he was big in the literacy movements and such. But one of the things it seems Protestants have done often is have, take out pieces of Brother Lawrence and make a devotional, right? So it's not necessarily Brother Lawrence, but it's pieces of Brother, you know, it's well meaning. And it's, it's for what it does, it does what it does. And, and pieces of Brother Lawrence are taken out. And then the person who's writing the book sort of adds their own experience, which is uh, but it's not the whole Brother Lawrence, so I kind of got Frank Lawbach's um approach to Brother Lawrence, which was about mindfulness, actually, that partly. Um, that makes sense, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, right, because of different things. So, and you know, it's interesting that you should bring up that about how you came to the mindfulness through Buddhism, if we don't can go back to that, yeah. Buddhism, because. You know, when um, Father Thomas Keating and everyone were trying to start centering prayer and stuff, they were like trying to fill that, fill that hole where that was in the beginning. Christianity did have yeah. meditation. And I mean, if you go to the Old Testament, it talks about meditate like a dog chewing a bone. Right. I mean, you cannot take a bone from a dog. Yeah. I mean, that's that's knowing that obsessive in a good way. Right. Um, so. Yeah, but I do believe it was in Frank Laubach in a devotional. And so, as I like to say, I'd only read him in translation. <laughs> yeah. But but still, but it's interesting too because I wonder which translation it was that you I think it's so fascinating yeah. that your grandmother had that.
0: Yeah, so I I I I looked on my shelf. I don't think I have the same book anymore. Yeah. I think it was the, you know, um, you know the hundred-year-old
1: Fleming Revelle? maybe Fleming Revelle?
0: Uh, I think it was a Whittaker one. But okay,
1: oh, okay. But, okay. but,
0: but uh, so I mean, I think it's you know Allenson or or whoever. Yeah. But you know, and you're right. Like completely edited. Like uh, when when the letters are are written, they take out the the Catholic references that, that you don't know he's writing to a nun because there's no.
1: Oh, you noticed that. Yeah, I will definitely say I noticed this tendency. Yeah. You know, can we just say right up front, the fact that your grandmother had Brother Lawrence, the fact that like Aldous Huxley said, there are people who are even not interested in this kind of stuff, love Brother Lawrence, you know, yeah. I just think it's so fascinating that people love Brother Lawrence so much that they make him completely there. So it's like, Oh, we don't really want to have nuns in the letters, so so we'll just take we'll just take those out because it's not part of our tradition, right? I mean, it's so interesting, isn't it? That, um, but I mean, they but it, but he's been done that too without any like anybody saying it's just like he's part of the family, you know? It's just I love With it. <laughs> yeah, he's like he's like he won't mind. I mean, they don't even nobody thinks he'll even mind. It's just like it's brother Lawrence. He's sweet. He's good and he's so accessible. I think that's part of a that is a huge compliment to brother Lawrence.
0: Yeah.
1: Yeah. Well,
0: it's a sort of that's kind of his universal appeal is how yes. how accessible this is and Yeah. Uh, so, so yes, I want to hear the story of how you came to translate this now. <laughs> so. That's
1: interesting because, you know, um when I'm asked this, I always feel I should have an answer that includes, well, it was on my 25 year life plan. (laughs) It's like, so you said earlier, your life's a mess. I'm like, I could echo that and can echo that my life's a mess too. So, you know, um, I have a friend who's an editor and I met this friend who's an editor through someone who graduated from my college, who knew this person. And I was met her because I was trying to publish my dissertation on Alfreds of Mm Ennisham, an old English, you know, Benedictine monk. And I pitched this book, you know, with great enthusiasm because doesn't everybody want to read about uh, this Benedictine monk's sermons on John? I mean, I did. (laughs) And my friend Lil now, this editor said, yeah, we don't do that, but I like your writing. So I think this is a thing always I'm telling students you learn to write, not to write correctly. You learn to write so that one day, if somebody doesn't want your idea, they still like your writing and they want to have more to do with you. Right. She said, but I like your writing. So could you pitch something else? So I pitched something else. And we did a book together at Paraclete Press. And then we just became friends, you know, somehow, uh, you know, when you work with somebody as an editor, uh, and they say things like, um, so this is really, a, this is like my favorite line ever. I haven't thought about it in a while. You know, Carmen, Lil said at one point, over here, I would follow you anywhere. But this is wooden over here. You're just, just dying. You know, like you've worked so hard on, you know how I did, you've worked so hard on something. And for somebody to say it's wooden, I've never forgotten that. And and the thing is, she, she was right. And so um, we became friends over the years. And so this is like almost 20 years ago now. And so we did another book and then I did cloud with first Shambhala yeah. because Paraclete had already done one or something. Yeah. And, um, and when I contacted uh, cloud, uh, sh- sorry, Shambhala, they said, oddly, wow, we were just looking for somebody to do that. And wow. yes. Okay. And were you also planning on translating the Privy council? And I was like, to myself, no, and to them, yes. <laughs> but anyway, because I could tell they wanted both. So that was part of the deal. And so Lil kept um saying to me over the years, want to talk about a book and do another book. And and then she changed publishing houses, you know. And then my dad died, and there was that for a while to, you know, do things with and just different, just emotionally, I didn't have the bandwidth. And then we moved from Georgia to California. My husband moved first. And Lil would occasionally check in and say, do you want? And I'd be like, I'm trying to sell my house, my husband's in California. And and so it was just like, and yet, because we're good friends, she kept, you know, in a really sweet way, checking in, you know. And so about March of 2020, and the only reason I remember the date really is because, you know, it's tied with the pandemic now. Yeah. But March of 2020, I got a message. You know how it is when you have different different social media accounts. I don't remember which one, but a message on social media saying, want to talk about a book? And for some reason it landed. And I said, yes. So we we talked. And Lil is an ideas person. She's really a genius. And she threw out, I remember, I just remember taking all these notes and stuff because we don't record conversations. So I typed in all these notes. And so many good ideas and blah, blah, blah. And then at the very end, we were about to close the way life works, you know? And she's like, oh, there's also Brother Lawrence. And just like with the cloud of unknowing, nobody mentioned the cloud to me, but there was a little tug in my heart about the cloud and it didn't go away. And when she said Brother Lawrence, I didn't dare tell her because I wasn't sure would his theology be healthy? Would I be able to translate him? Because I've never translated French before. So that's kind of like, I love diving off the, you know, the high dive and wondering if, you know, and, um, so I went, Oh yeah. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. So then I went away and I know this cause, uh, I was asked this recently and for about three or four months, I worked on a draft or to see if I could even do it. And what happened was I started with his, um, spiritual maxims in his letters, because I thought, I need to find out if Brother Lawrence is all that. Okay, so I just have to tell you something. I'd only read Brother Lawrence, like we were talking about, in translation. And so that means I don't know if I'm reading a Catholic, a present, that Catholic person's version of Brother, or that Protestant person's, or whatever. And I wanted to know who really was Brother Lawrence. And when you get into people's words, you know, you really get into who they are. I'll tell you about the first couple of spiritual maxims. I was gone. I was like this, this, this man. And then because I always have all the other translations open. And the thing is, I don't buy them all at once, but I kind of gather them kind of like barnacles to a ship. And so over time, but I. I knew which ones were the major ones. So I had those at the beginning and I had the critical addition. And I didn't quite find his vibrant beyond dualism. I just didn't quite, so, cause I had childhood trauma and I went out into nature because where else could I go? Mm-hmm. There was a sacredness there that was healing for me. And that was, like you said, a radical welcome. What Mary Oliver says, you know, trees saved her. Mm -hmm. And I found in Brother Lawrence that wide open, radical welcome. And when I looked at the translations and I love, I mean, I would not really want to translate Brother Lawrence without the earlier translations. They're like friends. They like accompany you. But at the same time, I didn't find him there the way I felt him when I was reading him. Wow. And so and so I was taken. So I was getting up every day at 430. I was teaching that summer full time online and students, parents were dying. There are essential workers on the front lines. And so there was a lot. I mean, I'm not a pastor, James, but, you know, there's a kind of a pastoral element to listening to students talk about things like that that are so grief and profound and um, trying to. recommend who they could talk to, you know, see and stuff since you're just a teacher and all. And um one of the things was I thought to myself, I want to do this because the main thing was if brother Lawrence is what I thought he could be, then then I moved out to Joseph and it really was just like eating potato chips, like Lay's barbecue Lay's potato chips. It was just every morning I got up and people were dying. My best friend's father died. Because of COVID. And, um, you know, every morning I'd get up, there were no car sounds on the road. It was just birdsong. And every morning I got up and there was a hopefulness because I was going to meet, I started thinking of him as Nick because, you know, his name was Nicolas Hermann, or what we would say Nicholas Herman, yeah. but it really would have been Nicolas Hermann. But I used to think, here I am, Nick. Good to see you. And um, because even when he became Brother Lawrence, he was still Nick. He was still a human. He 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 never lost that groundedness. And I was just taken with him. But I didn't tell my friend Lil uh, because I wasn't through yet, you know. And so then when I got done, and Lil says this too, because we talked about it, because there was a, a newspaper reporter asked us about it. And Lil, this was Lil's take on it too. And then I asked for a meeting in August or so and said, I'm done with the <laughs> ruptured. And I'd like to do it. And that's when Lil said, so we'll have to write a proposal and hope it gets accepted, you know, type of thing. I was like, really? <laughs> you know, I like, there's always a hurdle, you know? Um, and uh, and then, of course, it wasn't done because that was just a rough draft. Sure. But that's how it happened was it was Lil, this time it was Lil's idea. And um, I just felt really fortunate because it was healing to spend this time In friendship with with Brother Lawrence, because I am not naturally a calm person, and in fact, I've dealt with severe anxiety most all my life, and um, you know, trying not to give into it, but also trying to accept the fact that this is something that is part of me that I that I sort of like work with. You know, if Pema Chodron's here, she's saying this is part of my fuel for my path, so to speak, Uh, and um, I just found the calmness in brother Lawrence was endless endless
0: yeah and
1: and resonated also with because he had trauma from war and who knows what kind of trauma from that he had trauma from being really an outcast a non-privileged sort of quote nobody to society in his in the 17th century he he had severe anxiety But he practiced. I mean, this is perfect for your, And I mean, even without me, I mean, James is perfect for your first podcast because his practice, his minute daily moment by moment practice is what grew in him that calmness that I entered like a cathedral or like a grove of, you know, Mm -hmm. trees. Um, And it was for me healing during the pandemic. And they say, you know, if you write something and you're crying while you write it, like, so to speak, like if it's a love story and so on, then your your reader will cry. And all I know is that while I was translating that, it was an absolute calmness in me. Entering it was a calmness. And I hope, and, and I used to, because, you know, you say a little short prayer before you start doing your translating. And while you're doing it, especially when you hit the knots, you know, it's like, when fishing line gets in a knot, because I, I used to fish a lot, sometimes in a translation, you hit a fishing line knot where you're just like, oh, I just," mm-hmm. and I would just be like, so I'd have these little prayers. But even in those moments where it was like, what do I do here? There, it's like his book is so soaked and saturated in a juicy kind of calmness. Wow. Yeah.
0: Um one of your previous books the your your um, Hildegard book you mentioned that you're translating was like spending a year in Lexio Divino with Hildegard uh, did you feel that with brother Lawrence too or was it yeah
1: absolutely i I'd, I'd even forgotten i said that but that's true yeah it's almost like um you know how i'm sure everybody has a person that when they're with them They feel different and they feel blessed. It could be a teacher or a family member. But like somebody, when you're in their presence, their presence is so so, uh, healthy and enlivening that even if you only met them once, you're sort of forever changed. And if you get to spend, it's like the lineage thing, like the mentorship, the, you know, the like passing down, the wanting to get somebody's cloak, you know, and uh, wear it like I still have from my teacher in Germany who I met just through friends, Mother Bushbeck. I still have her shawl she gave me and I wear it sometimes because it's like. But I definitely think. Um, yeah, I mean, I totally you, you've you you've nailed it there. Uh, that spirit of calmness is like spending time, but he's not like teaching. It's not like how can I put this, James? It's not like Brother Lawrence teaches you by intellect. It's not like he's yeah. trying to give you a test and give you some words. And it's not like a class. It's definitely like entering to, into his presence, which is um, it is the presence of God and or divinity or how anyone, however anyone wants to think of the mystery of love. And it was definitely like spending time with him, but I didn't have questions for him. It's, it's, it's not like, because like you read in there, it's so, it's so, I have to say, when you read in the book that the brothers are always gathering around his bedside when he was sick and stuff, and they're always asking him questions, even then, always kind of reminds me of Job, you know, I mean, not, not to talk against the brothers, but you know how Job when his friends show up and they're kind of pestering him. It wasn't like I had questions for brother Lawrence. It was like just being with him was enough
0: yeah, so, so, yes, I yes, I, I yeah. think that's that's true. And I mean I guess that's my experience with him, too. is it's not that he doesn't have things to tell me, but it's it's that, um I don't feel preached at when I read Brother Lawrence. I feel um this this opening up of presence. so <laughs>
1: yeah, yeah, of like of of a it's a it's a different space. And the other thing about it to me is that one of the reasons that it's like that, that juicy calmness is I think he somehow had a lived Trinitarian theology. So that was one thing that I became aware of because I didn't have words for it, but he, like I even did searches through his text to see when he said Jesus, when he said God, the father, our parent, and when he said the spirit Mm -hmm. and You know, I found out that he absolutely adores, of course, Mary too. adores Mary, which is big. I think that's an important point. But he he really adores uh, Jesus. But they're all part of the package of his uh, experience of God, of the divinity and how he lives that out. And I had to go to theologians, you know, really good theologians are so helpful in. Helping us live things better, live love better, and Anne Hunt was one of them, and so I think that's why we feel this embodiment, is because, I mean, you know, because not all faiths have this lived Trinitarian understanding. Christianity has this, but as Anne Hunt says, usually Christianity doesn't do much with it. Yeah, you know, like it's just a it's a intellectual idea of three and one, whatever that might mean. But Brother Lawrence. Somehow lives it, and that when we get invited, it's it's one reason that I put at the beginning. It's one reason it it drew me down into a rabbit hole, because all of a sudden I started realizing, oh my God, he wrote this with a quill pen, the ink came from an oak tree. Then when it was made into a book, there. Were, I mean, you know, all of a sudden you just start seeing nothing is separate. Not, not, nothing in in Brother Lawrence's world, there everything is interdependent everything. So I thanked brother Lawrence and also the wasp that helped make the ink for him to write his book. Mm -hmm. You know, it just, it became very, um, it's so not intellectual. Have you ever noticed? I mean, I, I used to be, I mean, I would still probably say I'm a recovering this. I don't know what the word for is it, but you know how it's easier to protect ourselves by approaching faith and things like spirituality through the intellect. We kind of protect our, so I, I used to be an expert at that Mm -hmm. and um, didn't know it, you know, so it gives me some sympathy for, uh, you know, when I see online, these big kind of conversations and I'm like, I get kind of tired (laughs) because I think, could we just go chant and, you know, maybe go um, help someone who's hungry or something. Eventually just this apologetics and such is just a bit tiring, and one of the things about Brother Lawrence that I absolutely love is that what you said—you don't feel preached at, but you feel this presence. Where, as he writes himself, anything is possible. Yeah, anything in yeah. this embodiment, right?
0: Um, I—I I think I said this to you online, but the—but I—but uh, you, they're like mystics. They inhabit this, um, you know, other country wh- where they meet God, uh, but they're not all the same. Uh, you know, so we have, we have like, uh, you know, the important mystics and see so, you know, mystics that were important to Brother Lawrence, too, like uh, Teresa and Saint John of the Cross. That you know, Saint John ascending up a cast, ascending up a mountain, and Teresa with her going into the castle and then you have others like the, you know, the ladder of perfection and the, uh, I think of all the staircases in Catherine of Siena and, and here we have the cookies on the low shelf that everybody can, can get at it. Um, you know, it is, it is as simple as taking your, your heart and, and, uh, and having an intentional turn towards God, and experiencing God in, in that, um, and you know there there are you know Brother Lawrence is not alone. I mean you you translated the cloud, and and, and in a sense the cloud does that, although uh, almost in spite of itself. <laughs> um, and you know, I, or uh, you know another Carmelite, the the little way of uh, Saint Teresa is is. Uh, of luseau is is very similar in that sense. um but I think this is, you know, I wonder if this is all rooted in um, in Brother Lawrence's life as somebody uh, who was born for uh, part of the third estate in um, and he was a you know, and these are all things I've learned from your introduction, but you know, he was a war veteran um from the 30 years war uh injured for life um and it got worse as he aged um he you know probably because of that suffered PTSD um he wrote in the time of the plague um and of a climate disaster which was a little ice age so um at a you said like a third of the population of the world died because of that and just thinking that whole um inhabiting this space of of uh hardship and sorrow and and really um kind of finding himself in that so i mean the, I guess that's not even a question. So I'm sorry, I just had to say that.
1: (laughs) It's a, it's an, I mean, I just want to say what James said. That's absolutely beautiful and true. And when you wrote me that on Twitter, uh, you said that Lawrence, on the other hand, puts the cookies on the bottom shelf where everyone can reach them. And experiencing the presence of God is as simple as an intentional turn toward love. And I do absolutely agree with you. And I think you beautifully laid it out that it's rooted in his life of trauma and his disability that he lived with for 50 something years, and that you so well point out worsened as he aged until the last two years, he couldn't even walk and in an age without, you know, like Tylenol and things. So, and, or any understanding of modern medicine. So yes, I absolutely agree with that. And I think it's one reason that I love him and it's kind of like um, his humility is not that of the humble brag. Yeah. it's It's not mixed in with how do we handle social media and that kind of attention economy. it's his humility is so real that it does this is why some of my friends who are um Tibetan teachers, yeah, like. Lama Yeshe Rose, they'll, they're like, I love Brother Lawrence, because he's so the uncarved block.
0: Yeah.
1: He, he's he's so much the um, genuine humility. And you know, you really can't fake that. That's the thing. That's, that's what I think has carried him through the centuries, is that uh, it's kind of like, my mother uh, could not afford to go to college. And um, when she reads something and shares it with me, it's absolutely brilliant. Do you understand? Like when she'll read a book and she'll share and I'm like, mother, but she doesn't think she's smart. Doesn't have that reference of, am I, how am I presenting myself? Am I?" And, and I've learned that the way brother Lawrence presents spirituality and such, he doesn't have that filter of that sort of, I don't know what we're trying to describe here, but yeah. it's, a, it's a kind of humility without any artifice mm-hmm. at all. And it's just pure joy in the simplicity. And it doesn't have that because I guess, you know, I mean, I love John of the Cross, too, but I hear what you're saying. It, he, he, he he always talks about the methodless method, right? You know, so to speak. And I mean, think about it. He makes he makes God's love so accessible that like he even says you don't have to always be in church to worship god his his approach is very um how can we put it it really does cut out the middle man the middle woman you know? i mean it's 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 very um you know god's love is accessible to everyone that radical welcome you were talking of and it's not but but the thing is he's often described during his time as being not educated because those who are educated are seeing him as not educated but is he smart oh yeah yeah is, is my mom smart so what what i'm saying is he doesn't have that privileged point of view of yeah. of things because you you notice james when they talk about sometimes brother Lawrence was required to answer official questions by people in the church. And Joseph says, and when he did, he did a great job. He answered complex questions because you know, they had the quietest. Mm -hmm. So he was really, really smart, but he was also genuinely humble. So that's what I I loved it. When you said he puts the cookies on the bottom shelf and he doesn't say only take one. So this reminds me, I once met Cardinal Basil Hume In England, when I was a student there, my husband and I, my husband was being baptized and he just happened to be in the church that day, giving a speech, uh, Cardinal Basil. And he told the story that he's written about that, you know, uh, God is the one who, when you go into the kitchen and you sneak in to get the extra cookie that your mother's told you maybe don't have more, and you reach up to the secret place where the cookies are kept and you open the jar really quietly and you reach in for one more cookie. God walks in the room and says, and you think, oh no. And you start to put the cookie back and says, why don't you take two? (laughs) So your cookie analogy, I thought was absolutely beautiful because our minds are beautiful things, right? But they do they can um trip us up sometimes when they make the world into a this or that. Yeah. Or a you and me or us and them. Yeah.
0: So I love that you say this, this humility of Brother Lawrence. Um, but I want to say that coupled with that is this sense of self that yeah. brother Lawrence knows who he is and um, you know. Another thing I learned from your um, from your book was, you know, like, yes, he is shaped by this Carmelite spirituality and by this rhythms of prayer and work that you find in a in a monastery. But the uh, the time set apart for mental prayer didn't do it for him. Um, (laughs) And and he spent 10 years in the monastery, probably fucking up against um, what he was supposed to be doing and supposed to be experiencing. And uh, you say he really had a dark night of the soul. But by the time he's having this these conversations with Joseph and writing down the spiritual maxims and writing these letters, he knows who he is uh, and he knows how and where he's experienced the divine. And uh, it's just really beautiful to read. That's
1: interesting you point that out because you're right. When we read Brother Lawrence's practice of the presence, we get the most mature Brother Lawrence. And he's looking back on his earliest struggles. Yeah, you're exactly right. He had a sense of self and it comes through in the writing because nobody tells him what to think. (laughs) I mean, he takes the good from, yes, Teresa and from John, um, and he makes it his own. And he really does lean into these concepts of we stumble. I mean, he doesn't do the church thing that Joseph does occasionally. And I love Joseph, his friend Joseph. I think when you read about Joseph, you see that he also helped the poor and he was really active as a churchman. Mm -hmm. But Joseph also has the church party line a bit, you know, that he has to kind of watch out for. And um, Brother Lawrence doesn't. And he doesn't talk about sinner versus saint and good versus evil. And he's all about this bonte, this kind God that was often rendered just good, the good God. Uh, And Brother Lawrence is all about we stumble. And when you think about he limped for 50 years and he does use the French verb tomber there for like we have the word tumble. I really appreciate that because I know. I stumble. And what he means by that is when we're not true to ourselves, when we harm others. And then he doesn't take it lightly that you just ask for forgiveness and your life goes on. It's not like that. It's more this mature understanding of atoning and being better, doing better, like being kinder, causing less harm. You know, it's not like you get off scot free. It's like, asking for forgiveness. But the interesting thing is when you do, how kind God is in those situations when, you know, but you're right. He does say, I mean, I love it when he says, I mean, he's kind of, I mean, the cloud of unknowing anonymous is really can be short, you know, but brother Lawrence can also be kind of like, yeah, people told me and like in letter two, people told me I needed to do this and this, and this, and this, and this, and this. And, that. and then he just says, that didn't work for me. Like you said, yeah. he just goes. He goes, but I didn't do, I didn't do any of that. I didn't do that. That didn't work for me. And then he also says things like, I mean, you know, nobody wants to talk about this too much because I think spiritual direction's great, counseling, yeah. all this stuff. But he does say, yeah, I needed a, you know, to, uh, to somebody to forgive me for my for my you know stumblings and such. But I knew what was going on. I didn't really need a spiritual director. I mean, he's he's kind of like very much. Um, But I do think maybe he did see a spiritual director. But what I mean is he was very much saying these things cluttered my way. He (laughs) does use that word. Like he says, you know, this is clutter for me, all of this stuff. And I think he's in pain every day. Yeah. Right. You know, on the days when I don't feel well and something happens that the healthy Carmen could fall down a rabbit hole and chase and spend a lot of energy on. If I don't feel well someday and something happens, I'm like, okay, I give that over to you and I got to move on. I just think his life was a lot about, I got to move on. You know, I got to turn to love. I don't have the energy. I have pain. I got to turn my pain over. I've got to find a way to deal with this. And the other thing I love about him, James, is that he had a 10 year dark night of the soul.
0: Yeah.
1: With that PTSD. We don't know if it was what he did in the war, what he saw happen in the war, what happened to him because he was a prisoner of war. Was he, was he, you know, tortured? Who knows? But he does say he practiced the presence then. It came up in him intuitively, mm-hmm. and that he did it and did not see immediate results. Because he says throughout, he does that Richard Rohr thing where he says to quote richard uh, father richard he says it's that easy and that hard he says throughout it's facile it's easy to do the practice of the presence but he also says at the beginning it may be a little difficult <laughs> you know so like it's kind of like i always think of the analogy of if you are trying to start flossing your teeth in your teenage years it may be hard at first but now at my age i can't go to bed at night without flossing my teeth you know it becomes but so yeah you're absolutely I just think James you understand brother Lawrence so well. And 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 the other thing is the way his practice grew from his trauma and from his disability. That to me is that it's all one piece. His mind didn't separate soul, body, spirit, but you know, I mean when he talks of stumblings, think imagine somebody writing about stumblings who is somebody who limps through life for 50 years. It's really profound to me
0: yeah well and um I mean I appreciate your book so much and I appreciate the things I learned about brother brother Lawrence and I always loved him but I feel like I encountered him in a different way um and I love that you um you started with brother Lawrence's words um you know uh I, we don't have to go into this, but you know about 40 percent of the book is Brother Lawrence about 40 is uh Joseph Bufour, uh and uh, about 20 is a co- percent is a conversation between them um and a lot of times when you pick up Brother Lawrence and you think okay, I'm gonna read Brother Lawrence and all of a sudden you're reading about Brother Lawrence and you're like, what am I reading? Um, and you started with the spiritual maxims. and I, I seriously, I encountered him in a a different way in those and and uh you you talk about some his intelligence is that those are li- there's a literary craft in how they come together and how how the Maxims relate to one another. They're not just you know, independent aphorisms. it's it's beautifully written. um and and of course, beautifully translated by you. Um, you know, we could talk about that. We could talk about, uh, where, uh, other translators have, have, uh, hidden the feminine imagery that brother Lawrence uses. Um, it, but I, I kind of want readers to pick up your book and discover those things. I understand. Um, but, but I do want to ask, uh, um, um, how uh, how do you practice the presence that you you find that Brother Lawrence speaks about?
1: I can tell you um, because it's not rocket science. So, <laughs> you know, um, in fact, one of the reasons I'm grateful to have translated Brother Lawrence was it made visible for me the gold in my shadow. So, mm-hmm. you know how we all have shadow work we have to do with the difficult and the unseen. um. of impulses and and wounds and such but i also have experienced the gold in my shadow that i cannot see and one of the things that happened to me in as you said earlier communing with brother lawrence was i was like oh my god i do this (laughs) you would think i would have had that figured out james but like yeah um and so it was like i had a buddy that helped me see that i do this too so one of the ways that i practice the presence is for example uh, I turned to my editor and said, How should I order the book? You know, everybody has it different ways. And it often starts with the eulogy, even. Yeah. I mean, and then I was like, all I could think of was, this is really important to the book, yeah. whatever decision that I make here. Cause my editor said, Carmen, it's up to you. I thought she might go, oh, you need to do this, and she would know, you know. Uh-huh. Um you know, and but no. And so I like say, so hey. Uh, you know, love God whatever, or just hate. So um, I just don't know what to do with how to order the book. And, you know, a lot of people have this for a second. And in having this little conversation, which could take a nanosecond or could take a few minutes in the marsh walking along, all of a sudden I was like, you know what? Brother Lawrence is full of life. I really don't want to start with a eulogy because then we don't get to experience him as an alive human being. It's more like he's dead and he lived a great life. And so I thought, man, this is kind of a downer, you know? And then I thought, you know what, Carmen? It became kind of, then it's like one of those things like, uh, what do you call it? Like the little cat eyes in the road that help us know where the road is in the night when, who had that idea? Why didn't we have it sooner? All of a sudden I was like, well, you started with his maxims in your le- in his letters. Why wouldn't you start the book? <laughs> like, you know, why wouldn't you put his voice up front? Or like when I'm thinking, okay, so I'm going to have a, because I'm totally, uh, a person with severe anxiety. I mean, it's gotten much better, but you know, it's still a fact of my life. And I'm thinking, I'm going to have a conversation with James. I really respect James. James is a brilliant reader. And I also want to do well for his podcast. So I have this moment where I'm like, so throughout the time beforehand, what should, you know, what should, will you show me what James and I should talk about? What should I say when James, like I actually say, what should James and I, what should I say? How should I be? And even how should I prepare? So I printed out our Twitter mm-hmm. threads and read it, not, not to memorize anything, but just to follow whatever. So it's kind of like I throw the toast out there, so to speak, and it comes back with jam or something. But I literally just, I spend a lot of my prayers are more like really short. And Brother Lawrence even says, you would be surprised, he says the things that are said between a person and God Mm
0: -hmm. in these
1: short turnings to love. So I think what he meant was occasionally when he first started working in the kitchen, which he very much had an aversion to, he that he was saying at the beginning, I hate making soup. God, I hate it. Like it could have been something like that. And could you help me learn to do this with love or just what do I do with this? I don't want to be here. I'm limping. I'm in the kitchen. Um, Because that is kind of, how my prayers often are, there are more things of like, what do I do? Like I, I often think my favorite prayers are help, like just help. Yeah. Like a, and what do I do? Like, what do I do with this? And they're not long. They're not eloquent. It's just those. And they happen repeatedly throughout the day. Yeah. And then when I forget and I start getting into the mind thing, James, of like, I have a list and I'm going to get it done and I'm going to fix things because there's also that part. Then just like Brother Lawrence says, when you forget, when he forgot, he said, and when I would remember and come back, there's always a welcome there, a radical welcome there of Mm -hmm. like, it's not like, where were you? Why weren't you in church on Wednesday? (laughs) It's not like that. It's more like you're back. That's all. It's like when you come into the house and your cat is like yay you know or dog or whatever it's just this radical welcome right yeah like you're back yay yeah. you you were using your mind trying to fix things and now you're back so I definitely think for me it just looks very much like or if I'm washing dishes or it might be learning like I have these few uh Buddhist chants that really help me and might be doing that. Or it might be when I'm with a student and I don't really quite know what to do, like if there's a difficulty, you know, if a student's having a difficulty or if maybe there's some difficulty, like, you know, uh, with a student, then I'm just like, I really will say sometimes, I don't know what to do with this. You're going to have to help me because I got no clue. Like literally, like you're going to have to, you know, fix this in the sense of show me what to do because I can't fix it. I don't know. So, my and my conversations might not be safe for you know certain circles sometimes because they might be raw you know what I'm saying that might be a prayer for me that some people might not uh, quite approve of but God has no problem with and if and if there is a problem with something I've said it's not the way a human would look at it it's more like I'm sorry that you hurt there and Let's see. Couldn't we do it a healthier way? <laughs> you know, it's like it's never from the perspective of you're wrong and bad. Never.
0: Yeah. yeah. No. Um. Yeah. The, the uh, I like the idea of the sent like the sentence prayers is what what uh, Brother Lawrence commends, right? To say, you know, my God, yeah. I'm all yours. Um, yeah. You know, just just that um, that turning and and you know. It was the cloud that that says do the one one sentence prayers, um, uh, or one word prayers. I mean, where you were something yeah. just like help if you're drowning. You don't say. Uh, I love please help me out of the marsh. But you I do. love
1: that I, absolutely. That's one of my favorite things because I always used to tell students if there's a building that's on fire, you don't say assist me, assist me, conflagration. It's just help. there's a fire. So yeah, I'm with you on <clears throat> on totally and I like that you brought up that he does give because it was like people did ask him for advice yeah. and he, he does say that he says like my God, I'm all yours or love give me your loving heart or and then he says or whatever love gives you whatever you make up with love on the spot. I love that he you know he does occasionally I think people did say I think I think often people came to him and said, how can we have what you have? Mm. And they wanted to have it quantified. And so I think he did say, share things like that. Like you said, the one sentence or the one word or the. Yeah, definitely, James. Yeah. He he definitely. But what I love about him is that he practiced what he what he did talk. And I love the fact that he's a bit like what's the word? you know, when you meet an older person who's wise, there's a few things they always bring up that they really care about in a conversation with brother Lawrence. It's always, I know I'm always in his letters. I know I'm always talking about practice in the presence, but it's, it's the, if I were a preacher, he said, it's the only thing I'd ever talk about. (laughs) And he, and he almost like apologizes saying, I know I'm telling you this again, but it's the, it's the only game in town for him, you know? And I love the fact that he says, because I'm, I don't know if I should share this, but you know, I've often gone to retreats and things like that, thinking I'm gonna have this big moment, it's gonna be great. And then I sort of sit there going like I'm kind of like antsy or what and he says he would much prefer to be practicing the presence than going on his spiritual retreats, you know. He said he, I mean he's very I'm not I'm not against spiritual retreats, but I'm just saying he's very much like he I think he would even say at the end, he he'd rather be in the kitchen stirring the soup and having that. Moment of prayer, stir in the soup, as he learned to do the small things with great love. Mm -hmm. So I love that because it's too tiring for me to try to be good and magnanimous. And it'd be much better if I could learn to be patient with my students and helpful and listen to my students. You know, so my prayers are often in class what do I do now? How do I help this student? And for me, it's bridging the gap of generations. So, like, you know, I mean, I'm of the age now when I make certain references to pop culture, they're like, who, what, how, when. And so um a lot of my prayers are like, how do I communicate with students who are Gen Z who have so much to share? Yeah. So much to to contribute to the world and the world's not always listening. Mm. Yeah, that's what I've come to Well,
0: and, and that that brings us into like and you, you 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 actually say this in one of your notes but like attention um so like yeah the uh this the stretching towards others um and that that is the gift of brother Lawrence is is uh first intention uh is that of this intending to turn to God and attention of like um being aware of the presence of God in our midst. And and I think that extends to being aware of the people that, that are put there. And uh, if you read his letters, he is really attentive to them.
1: Yes, he is very attentive, always. And I love the fact that you emphasize his, um, like first the intention, the turning within, the stretching, as you put it, with the etymology, the stretching within, and then the stretching outwards, the turning outwards towards other others, because you know Joseph also tells us that he did all he could to help the poor. I mean, he himself, um, Brother Lawrence, took a vow of poverty, lived in sandals, had owned nothing, um, and and such. So he he did live that path of poverty, and I love the fact that you bring in. I mean, it's not really a spiritual practice if it's meant just to cultivate some peace for myself. I mean, that's just hard to imagine how that would work. So, yes, it's that self-compassion by turning to love within and then that turning to others to try to bring in, invite in anyone who's on the margins of society and also whatever we can do to be love in, in our time, that stretching outward. So I love the fact that you bring that in, because I just think for me, and I know, I know for several people have brought this to me, we do need more self-compassion in order to be that compassionate reaching out and to do it in a healthy way, like not in a way to make me feel better, but in a way that's Um, or to try to heal which is you know not not a not a healthy approach but um, I really think what what brother Lawrence practiced really did both those it cultivated his self-compassion and his compassion for others and it does it for me too I mean it really does you know it's one of those things it's like flossing your teeth really does work we don't have to analyze it from an intellectual point of view you just know it does do what what he says it does and it's hard to explain it i really love i think you're one of the most articulate people about this because you you're able to articulate it james and you go from his life and his biography biography to his use of words and so you take in all of this and make it and an spiritually and make it very multifaceted and embodied yeah. and so i really appreciate your approach
0: <laughs> well thank you uh, i i I, I think we we probably should close, but I want to ask a final question, um, and and uh, and and you may have answered this already, <laughs> but uh, you you talk about the work of translating, and and uh, you talk about you've talked about some of the things that you practice, and I just wanted to ask again is what are the practices that nourish you for your work as a as a teacher as a translator as a mystic and and person on your own spiritual journey what are the practices that feed your soul
1: there are so many
0: <laughs>
1: because it's such a moving thing right so i appreciate you asking me that but the first thing I thought of when you asked that question was um, my husband is a very kind person. And so there's that container friendship, yeah. just like an anchor and um, like unconditional love and all that uh, for which I'm very grateful. And then there is uh poetry comes up to my next. So like Mary Oliver can bless me beyond anything. And it's not just reading her poem and walking away, but reading her poem. I mean, it might even be that I print it out and take it to the marsh and make up a song for it. Not like, I'm, you know, but just it just happens, right? Because I want it to become a part of me. And so um, the same with other chants, it might be um, another like a scripture verse of some sort, or it might be a Buddhist chant. And I mean, I, there have been times when I've been in great pain, uh, worried about someone or just my own self. And I have chanted the Buddhist medicine chant in the original and in my own translation of it, which is admittedly done with great. Um, I just I mean, I I'm not Lama Yeshe Rose, OK, but with great humility and um. But to try to make it, not really, but just to try to make it more part of my DNA. So there's singing, there's walking in nature, there's looking at snowy egrets. There is washing of the dishes. And then there's, I mean, I must admit, I mean, it's not practice, I suppose. But there are some uh, TV shows that I watch that really are popular and stuff sometimes, but that have a message of trying to help others. Like they have a, it has kind of a, there's community. and then. There are my tending to my friendships who are so supportive. And um, and then another practice is actually the hardest. And it's something I've been praying always as a teacher. And that is, please help me listen. So I think as a teacher, one of my hardest, most important foundations has been I remember the first day of walking to class in Georgia when I started teaching at a college there, feeling so terrified. I felt like I was walking into a lion's den and the students were kind. It wasn't to do with them, but I just was so terrified. I I don't, and I taught before at the University of Georgia, but this was just a little bit different. And I just remember saying, help me please to listen. And something in me went, right, that's it. That's what you've got to focus on. And so one of my practices is having the prayer of how do I listen to my students today? And what it has turned out to mean is I do surveys of my students. I have to sometimes laugh at myself in class when I don't get something, you know, I mean, like there are moments where you have to be uh, vulnerable before your students of just like, oh, I didn't know that, or I didn't get that, or okay, I messed up there, you know, and so um, but then, but but really and truly, there's taking in of reading. I mean, it's all the things that I majored in English for. There have been books that have saved me. So, for example, I have read so much of Anne Yulanoff and Melanie Klein, and Carl Jung. I, I've read so much for my own healing during therapy, before therapy, after therapy. Uh, so, reading is another practice. I mean, people people say, "Yeah, I love to read," but I mean reading, so active listening as a practice, reading as a practice. And I know Anne Lamott said this before, if I'm at a point where I'm feeling particularly like vulnerable or just exhausted, then also rest is a practice. Uh-oh. You know, like, I mean, you're supposed to rest during every day, but also there are some times when you just have to say, whoa, I've got to just sit here a moment. And that's a practice.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And so the, and the other thing is sometimes when, when I feel depleted, reading. And just reading can be filling me up, but I have to find, or it's listening to music. Mm. Um, but yeah, for me, or writing. And that's the other one there. Are so, so, so for me, James, it's like, and there's also writing. So I have this book of poetry I've never written. And the other day I went back and I gathered all the poems again. And so I've been working with this forever, but I realized that for me, what's most important is the going back into the poems and working with them even more than the uh, publishing them. So for me, writing, journaling is a is a practice too. And I heard, I, I was listening the other day to um, Mirabai Starr speak, and she was saying how she has on her phone a list of prompts that sometimes she'll just stop and have a five minute free write to a prompt that kind of gets her back in touch with herself. And I'll do that sometimes too, go back into a poem and go, what did I mean here? And check in with myself because I can actually listen better to my students if I've paid some attention to myself, if that makes any sense.
0: It does. It Perhaps, does. Yeah. And that's so, such a question. I want to just, I want to say that, I mean, this is, this is interesting is because um, this is all things that brother Lawrence talks about in terms of listening and rest and um, paying attention. And they're all things that in our distracted day and age that are kind of hard to do um you know it it is harder for me to stop and listen to myself than to you know check twitter or facebook <laughs> um I agree so it's uh it is it is but it is the work so
1: and i'm glad actually glad you brought that up because i do think i don't want to speak for everyone but i do get the feeling that we're all addicted to social media in the sense of um you know, it's just so your thumbs move. I, I mean, it's just or you're on the computer, but yeah. on the phone. And I think that um, stopping is, I'm glad you brought that point up because I do think that we're in a new age of how do we deal with this? What does it mean? I ask my students all the time, what does it mean to be human? Yeah. Like you know, in a world where you have the AI and the and the social media, What does it mean to be human? But I'm always asking myself too, because it would be much easier to kind of, you know, how C.S. Lewis has that thing where there's a head in a jar. I mean, it would be much in one of his like uh, science fiction uh, stories. There's like it's the point I got from it, and I may be misremembering it, but it's kind of like it would be much easier to just inhabit social media and kind of just be on my phone with my thumbs moving than it is to be to try to be embodied on the ground and being there for people that I love and having my heart open to be broken, yeah, you know, uh, in um, grief and things and just being open to be, th- I've just become more aware lately. We've got to learn. And I'm starting with myself. I'm talking We weave meaning I've got to learn. And it seems the world needs to relearn or unlearn how to be there for each other. Especially, as you say, as we're kind of all pulled into these social media spaces. And I'm not against the social media spaces. Yeah. Because, you know, that's how I met you, James. But but I mean, it's definitely a new thing we're dealing with.
0: Yeah. It's how we all survived the pandemic, too. And yeah. for, for a lot of us, that was our connection to the world. But yeah. thank you. Carmen for for talking with me and and getting deeper into all of this where can we send people to get your book
1: oh yeah well um i'd love for people to um visit me on my website uh it's www.carmenbutcher.com and you can find out there it's it's really sold anywhere and um i would love One of the things, James, I've really appreciated about you is that it has enriched my understanding of Brother Lawrence hearing what you saw in the book, because Mm -hmm. I really it just tells you how much we need each other's friendships, because some of the things you pointed out, I don't think I would have understood without your pointing them out. You're an excellent uh, reader. Uh, such an embodied reader, you're you're like you're like the dream reader, really, you know. And um, I know you do so many other things too. So, thank you so much, James.
0: Thank you. <laughs> I enjoyed this conversation with Dr. Carmen Avicelo Butcher so much. Carmen shared so many rich things, and yet. There's so much about Brother Lawrence and her wonderful, evocative, and inclusive translation we barely scratch the surface on. You can get her book anywhere books are sold, but especially from your local independent bookseller. Please visit her online at CarmenButcher.com. The link will be in the show notes. The music for this podcast has been Lawrence Gray's Laundromatted licensed through creative commons if you enjoyed the podcast don't forget to hit subscribe wherever you get your podcasts until next time keep practicing